Welcome to Breakthrough Radio, a global business radio show where smarter strategies deliver breakthrough results by adding an entrepreneurial touch driving today's profits. Now, get ready for three powerful breakthrough segments with Michelle Price. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you're tuning in to Breakthrough Radio from. This is Michelle Price here coming to you from the third coast of Houston, Texas today. And on Breakthrough Radio, we are celebrating nine, going on ten years, of talking about how to master the internal and external strategies of business. Tapping into new perspectives and observations brings you valuable insights for your business, or your entrepreneurial journey. Well, you know what? It is the first Monday of the month, and we're going to be shifting into a new breakthrough tip on the first Monday. Now I'm going to be delivering a tip on innovative thinking. You know, the breakthrough tip is a short tip at the top of the show where you can go take action on that information right now. Our featured guest today is with Jeff Lisowitz, the author of Not Effing Around, the No BS Guide for Getting Your Creative Dreams Off the Ground. Our featured interview is a 35-minute conversation. It's a nice deep dive into the topic of the day to allow you to gain a much better understanding, level of knowledge, and application for your business. Then we're going to close today's episode with Jeff Shuey in our Breakthrough Bite. The Breakthrough Bite is a 10- to 12-minute segment that's not as long as our deep dive and not as short as our Breakthrough Tip because we like meeting all the learning styles of our listeners. Jeff talks about the intersection between people and technology. So I want to thank you for coming to listen to Breakthrough Radio. And if it's your first visit, please make sure you thank the person who told you about us. Here's the scoop. You're going to want to listen without distraction. That's why you only need to write down one URL today. It's www.thebreakthroughradio.com. Every week, you have access to a blog post that gives you the frame for the conversation for each episode. That means anything we talk about today, something we may reference to as a resource, we link to it there. Whether it's how to reach Jeff, Jeff, or myself, never had a show with so many Jeffs. (laughs) Make sure you do visit and connect with each one of us and do more than follow. Reach out. Truly connect. Ask us a question, engage us in conversation, and of course, when it makes sense for your business, hire us. All right, so let's pop into this breakthrough tip. You know, when you look at the world through a new lens, when you're not the one that's normally in charge of things, you gain new insights. Now, yes, that sounds obvious, but how many of you are actively seeking out new lenses to look through? Where do you find new lenses, you ask? By connecting with new people or even connecting deeper with the people you know but not really looked at things through their lenses. You just looked at what you thought was their lens. You know, I've learned over the years that good questions are really powerful. They can come to us in really many ways. Uh, For me, getting really quiet and asking one question allows me to tap into a universal mind that always delivers me a plethora of great questions once I pull the trigger of stillness. 
Now that said, it doesn't mean it's the only way to uncover good questions or new lenses. You can find what resonates with you by testing and trying a few different things and then paying close attention. Mindful thoughtfulness versus casual indifference to your answers. Well, the way to seek new lenses is to go to a coffee shop, get yourself a drink, then sit down, and while appearing to either work or read, truly listen to conversations around you. And listen for contrast. What seems or sounds really different than what you know or think? Jot it down in notes to review and explore. The goal for you today in putting this breakthrough tip into action, write on a sticky note or a postcard, whatever you've got. Put it on your car's visor. You're driving around either to and from work or to meetings. Have it in front of you, whatever that looks like for you, and have written down, how many new lenses can I see and observe this week? Let me repeat that. How many lenses can I see and observe this week? So tune in next first Monday, and we're going to discuss what we're going to do with those observations. So jot them down on the back of that sticker or that card. Have them ready. You know, I'm looking forward to hearing your observations as you go through this journey as an entrepreneur. And you can always reach out and connect with me via Twitter, LinkedIn, or right here on Breakthrough Radio. In our last episode, before um, we talked with Daniel Burris about the anticipatory organization. Now, you know a big company that's been really great at tapping into anticipate and blue. <laughs> anticipation. <laughs> you got to love words that just tie your tongue up. With their teams inside their company is Ford. I'm going to raise my hand and say I've actually seen this. I've been up there and I've watched how they engage with their people internally. It's really phenomenal. So how will you follow Ford's lead and be more strategic in how you connect and serve your customers, both internal and external? You know, today's consumer has changed the game of buying for business no matter what industry you sit. And it's why having a buyer journey map has become mandatory if you want to succeed and grow. And this is exactly what Growth Hacking does, Growth Hacking CMO does with their clients when they're approached for help growing their business and growing their revenues. Growth Hacking CMO are masters at crafting that roadmap and then showing clients how to structure their execution with precision. Defining what's important to customers today and using analytics to see how customers are making their buying decisions is the savvy way to prepare for future needs and to stay relevant. And when you know what's valuable to your customer, you can use that to capture their attention and have it be welcomed. Whether you have 10 or 10,000 customers, your buyer journey map saves you time, money, and headache because it's your sweet spot in business, one that can help you generate profits and gain traction over your competitors. So connect and discover how GrowTackingCMO.com can help you do that for this last quarter of 2017. Now, before we start our featured interview, remember we appreciate it when you share today's show by going to www.BreakthroughRadio.com and share it with your colleagues, your friends, and your clients. So let me share a little bit about our featured guest today. You know, Jim 
as he says, burdens with the mission to inspire writers, artists, filmmakers, musicians, and every other creative human to amp up their creativity, heal their hearts, and shine in the world. He is an award-winning musician, producer, a college instructor, speaker, photographer, critically acclaimed author, and internationally distributed filmmaker who has devoted his life to empowering and inspiring creativity. So you guys, please join me as we welcome Jeff to Breakthrough Radio today. How are you doing today, Jeff? Hey, Michelle. How's it going? It's going pretty good. You know, I'm still amazed. Even though I've lived here all my life, so it should be old news to me, it's November and it's still getting 89 degrees outside. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's crazy. Well, it snowed in Seattle yesterday, so come on up here <laughs> if you want. You know, I need to because that's actually uh, pretty close to where, where uh, Jeff is at. Uh, <laughs> the other Jeff. I have two. The Jeff. other Jeff. Uh-huh. So many Jeffs on the air these days. <laughs> Well, you know, one of the things uh, that I can share with you being a TED Talk lover is I just listened to a talk by uh, someone by the name of Nick Marks. Uh, It was on back in 2010 when he was talking about how we have focused too much on an apocalyptic future. And one of the things that really stood out for me uh, listening to him discuss how the focus of the problem has warped uh, us into thinking, uh, into not thinking enough about solutions. And I have to tell you, the strategist in me was going, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, In business, my experience has always been the exact opposite. There's not enough clarity around problems, which has caused people to uh, uh, waste time on solutions that don't really meet the needs that they're experiencing. So I'm curious to ask you, have you found that tapping into creativity and oh, let me see how I can how I can articulate that uh tapping into creativity in ways that most only dream about uh does it really help us learn about the situation of problems versus solutions and where we should focus our attention Absolutely I totally believe that So I think what creativity is at its core is taking almost disjointed pieces of information or ideas or emotions or, um, you know, sounds or, or visuals or whatever, and putting them together in creative ways. It's, it's taking different parts and putting them together in creative ways. So the more perspectives that we have, just like you were talking about in the intro with uh, the different lenses of different people, the more we can sort of uh, put together different ideas that were not easily seen or understood before. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So I guess if, if it's okay with you, one of my first questions, though, is as we're learning about how to tap into creativity, where do you think we should initially focus our attention on? Is it more around gaining clarity around the problem, or should we focus more on learning about where our own personal strengths are and how we fit into solving the problem? Well, certainly we should know uh, and, and think about and feel into what our personal strengths are. If you don't know that, 
you're going to be barking up the wrong tree. Um, also, if you can identify the parts of your, um, you know, skill sets that are not as highly developed as you'd like, well, then you can, you know, point your education and your action towards those things, right? So that you, you build the pieces that you're missing. Um, so what do we do? How, where do we go to, to be more creative? How do we start this once we understand who we are, right? Um, being creative, it, it really is a lot like what you suggested in the beginning. What are different perspectives? One of the biggest things we do, I believe, as humans is we believe our own thoughts. We believe our own experience, right? And that's typical. And everybody, everybody does it, which is the funny part. The fact is that what you believe about your world and about your business is not necessarily what your audience or your customers believes or needs or wants or what their solutions are. So it's very important to step out of your own perspective into, into the other's perspective just so you can get a, a better sense of what is going on out there. We, we, we often tend to, you know, again, believe what we are, what we believe is what everybody else believes, but it's really not true. You know, you said something earlier about if you don't really know your strengths, then um, that would be, you know, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw my own lens on this. That That's, that's probably where you need to start. Um, and I'm going to tell you, Jeff, when I talk to people and start asking them questions, I won't come out and ask them if they know what the strengths are because everyone's answer is yes. But when I ask them different kind of questions that would elicit that response, there's a lot of people who don't know that information. Is mm-hmm. that a lack of is that a lack of of being ugh. I get that that the personal journey is really uh I've watched how important it is for entrepreneurs, but I think too many times people tend to think um business and creativity are two separate tracks. Has that been your experience? Well, I mean that certainly seems true for a lot of people yeah they don't they don't understand that business is actually a huge creative endeavor um if you are if you are stuck on whatever whatever idea or ideas that you have and you are not creative and open enough to move around and to test out different ideas to see what's working see what's not think and feel into other people's perspectives you are trying you are essentially trying to force the world to connect with you, which is not going to work, right? The the concept in business really is what can you do? How can you serve the other guy, the audience, the, um, you know, the customer, the client? So it's, it's very important to think of it really, really the other way and to be creative in your approaches. So, you know, if you're doing the same thing that everybody else is doing, it's a, it's a very, very difficult trip. You need to outspend them. You need to outshout them. You need to, uh, you know, 
do all these kinds of things. Whereas if you create something that's a little more creative, it's a little more, um, you know, connected to the actual needs of the customers or clients that you're interested in, that is going to connect with them a lot better, a lot faster, a lot easier. So out of curiosity, because I know this question is not going to be the first time it's come up for you, but Mm -hmm. what was the impetus for you naming the book Not Effing Around? (laughs) Yes. Well, I'm the kind of guy who, you know, doesn't do a whole lot of effing around. Although in the book, you know, there's not effing around, which is, you know, tuning into your passion and your purpose and taking action on it, right? That's sort of what not effing around is. On the other hand, you know, the last chapter in there is about effing around, which is defocusing, right? Taking time off, breathing, just letting it sit in. And I'll tell you what, half the time for me, that's when the good stuff comes. It's not when I'm sitting there at the desk, you know, pounding it out and and focused. It's when I'm, you know, meditating or driving around or in the shower, you know, that kind of stuff is where, where the great ideas often come from so yeah not effing around is is finding your passion tuning into it and uh using that to serve the world in some way you know i'm glad you brought up how defocusing really kind of puts you in a state of mind where answers will come to you because it's so funny we as much as sometimes we'll acknowledge those things out loud very seldom do I see people actually give themselves the space or the room to do that. I know Sundays, most people tend to think of that as, as a day off, but because it's the day before the radio show, that's usually a pretty intense work day for me. And mm. I decided Saturday that, you know what, that's enough of that. Uh, <laughs> I said to myself, you're really good at what you do, and you are not going to have to, like, take that deep of a dive into the conversation, uh, what you're going to have on Monday, try a different approach. Go take a day mm-hmm. trip somewhere. Nature really, uh, you know, I'm honest with myself because I've, gone, I've, I've asked questions of myself and I've learned that being in nature is very uh, regenerative for me. So I thought, you love history, you love nature, Google what's one of the closest near Houston and look at all of them, and find one that captures your attention, and then just visit it. And I did that yesterday. Turns out there's something only about an hour and a half away from me. Um, that's a that's a state park where they have a, a history farm, a living history farm. There's the the park rangers are daily doing what people way back in the 1800s would have done. Uh, and so I went out there and I you know, got to be with nature, but then also got to talk to these people and start asking them questions, and I thought, oh, my gosh, the things that I'm learning here are so um, helpful for all the different things that we would ever talk about in entrepreneurship or on the radio show, so my mind was just sparking with uh, Mm -hmm. ideas and approaches and people to think about, and I thought, I bet Jeff would be really tickled to know I'm out here being <laughs> really creative in an unusual way. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. And it's, you know, just like you said in the beginning, it's more lenses for you to look at or to 
um, experience, you know, to, to kind of get outside of yourself and into other people. And how does that affect your business? Who knows? But the wider your perspective is, the more, the more choices you have in, in the ways that you think. Hmm. You know, there was something in the very beginning of your book of No Effing Around where you talk about the people who have the grit to act on their dreams are the ones who sailed across forbidden seas. And, of course, the sentence goes way longer than that. But the mm-hmm. thing that really stood out to me was you use a lot of similar language in talking about creativity that we use in entrepreneurship when we're talking about what it takes to actually make it. And I mm-hmm. wondered why it's, ta- it's taken so long for people who talk about creativity and people who talk about business to connect those things. And grit is one of them. Most people don't think of grit and creativity in the same sentence. That's true. And many artists and musicians and writers don't look at their craft, their creativity as business, right? So it really does cross-connect. I mean, I talk to lots of creative types and they, you know, the, the creativity is great. And that's a huge part of what I teach and what I talk about. Um, but if they want to step that forward into a career, you know, or into making money from it, you have to think of it as a business in certain ways too. So yeah, there's definitely a huge amount of crossover between creativity and the arts and, um, and business. Well, you talk about how you've seen men, um, a lot of people drop their passions and their purpose for no good reason. Share with us what are some of the ways that that's looked like as you've observed it, and my hope is that listeners will hear one or two of those that might resonate with them and allow them to to maybe back up and ask themselves some different questions. Sure. Well, I'll speak for myself um, rather than others in this. So, you know, as you mentioned in the beginning, I'm a musician, photographer, filmmaker, um, you know, recording, you know, all kinds of, all kinds of creative stuff that I've done. Um, these days I, I am really focused on my book. I'm doing workshops, webinars, you know, all this kind of stuff, outreach, writing blog posts. And it's really all, a lot of it is really goal directed. It's really achievement based. Here's what I, I want to build this, get it bigger. I want to talk to lots of people, help, uh, you know, serve my community, stuff like that. The funny part for me is I've been at this for a while and I'm realizing that I am forgetting basically the big thing that I'm teaching, which is it is okay and good for you to have that element of play in your creativity, like a not goal oriented um, activity. So recently I've made this a new uh, big piece of my world and my time. So I am now writing a poem a day. Just a little tiny poem. I saw this movie a couple months ago called Patterson. Patterson is about a bus driver in Patterson, New Jersey, named Patterson. Right? He's driving this bus around all day. And he's got his little notebook. And he just writes a little poem every day during his breaks. He just looks at the world, right? just his normal everyday world, but sees it more deeply. 
right? And from that, he creates art out of it. He creates th- these little poems. And I was so inspired and struck by this because it's true that the way that you look at the world is the way the world becomes to you. If you are looking at it as, you know, constantly achieving and um, everything is money driven and all of this kind of stuff, that is what will, that is what you will become. If you uh, lighten up basically and put some play, whether it's writing a poem or just taking, you know, photos of beautiful things with your uh, cell phone, or recently I just bought some watercolors. You know, I'm not a watercolor painter, but hey, why not? Sit around and do watercolors and mindfulness for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes in the evening. It's a really powerful way to open you up, open up your heart, open up your mind, so that when you do step back in to your more goal-oriented missions, it's just looser, there's more fluidity there, and more energy comes through you. So that is, that's the kind of thing that I would suggest. I love how I didn't ask it yet, but you just answered the question of, uh, that, that I hear, especially from entrepreneurs, when you start talking to them about passion and strength. They're like, you know, that, that all sounds really great, but I've got to focus on what I have to do to take care of my family and how to make money. And they miss the connection of what the value that brings to them and how they could construct a solution or build a business that does both. And and so right. thank you for answering the question I didn't ask yet. <laughs> oh, good. I, I want to I answer it a little bit more. So uh, when I was in college, I had a poetry instructor who was just really phenomenal and really could see into what it meant to be a creative. And one of the things she told me is, it's really about any kind of artist is about the process more than the product. Okay. So the process of being a poet, let's say is actually writing the poems. It is not having a book of poems sitting on your desk, right? It's actually doing it. And you must, if you're, if you're going to be true to yourself and true to everyone around you, it is critical that you love the process. If you do not love the process, you are not going to be fueling your actions with something that's real and meaningful for you. And if it's not real and meaningful for you out there in the world, it, the world will respond to it in that way. Right? So the more energy and love you put into something, the more it's going to come back to you. This is just basic stuff. And the same thing is absolutely true in business, right? If you are just out there banging your head against the wall and your only mission is to make money, it's not being fueled with real love, right? So find something in your business that you truly love, how you want to serve the world, how you want to help, uh, you know, your customers, your clients, everyone around you. And that will give you gratification as you're doing it. When you got that, that's going to radiate into your action, into your business, into your marketing, everything, and that will then come back to you, and you will see the profits, and you will see, um, you know, the bottom line increase in in many ways, not just not just with the money, but with your actual happiness in life, and that's, I believe, 
you know, really, it's one of the bottom lines. It's very important. Yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a, it's a bottom line that's hidden in plain view that a lot of times people don't acknowledge. They've gotten so rote and so used to only acknowledging a sliver of what the bottom line is. I'd love to see more people recognize what the true bottom line really is. It's it's a a, a sum of it all, not just a piece. Right. What What are the metrics that you're actually using to measure your success? So, um, you know, Tony Robbins, the uh, big life coach guy, right? I got this from him a couple of months ago. He's talking about the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. So the science of achievement, Tony's got, you know, he's got all his classes and stuff. He's like, basically, if you can emulate people who are successful in various ways, you will, you're likely to become successful. There's ways to understand how to become successful in this life and business or really anything. Right. But just being successful or just having that achievement, let's say is not necessarily going to make you fulfilled. doesn't matter how much you achieve. If you are not fulfilled in your life, it's not going to matter. You're still going to have a, a dark heart and that's not, that's not cool. Nobody wants that. So, it was really interesting to hear him talk about that because um, it's, it really is this balance. We all want to succeed, you know, have that achievement. That's great. But then on the other side, how do we balance that out? What is, what is truly fulfilling for us? And that's a question that we all have to, you know, ask ourselves. Mm. You know, there's something that I notice creatives tend to have this very, very interesting dance with success and prosperity. Some of them have really understood what that all encapsulates, and others don't recognize that they're in resistance to their own success and prosperity by what I call the the language or the software that they're running on their brains on a daily basis. Um, What did you learn for yourself especially as you were writing content for No Effing Around, how people have learned to start working through their fears instead of using them as excuses to not get where they want to go. Right. Well, we all have fears. Like, it's built into our brains for sure. And, you know, it keeps us alive in a lot of ways. You want to have fear you know, you don't walk out in front of the bus and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but if we let fear take hold of us on a deep, in a deep uh, way, we're not willing to step out of our comfort zone and whatever that means, right? And unless you're stepping forward in the world in various ways, you're, you're going to basically remain where you are, right? If you're not stepping forward, you're just being in the same place. So I realized a very interesting thing about, you know, the comfort zone in the last year or so. So everybody's got their comfort zone, what they are into, what they feel safe and, and, and secure with, and then there's outside of that. Well, here's the deal. If you step, if you've got the courage just to take even a little step outside of that comfort zone, what will eventually happen is that the comfort zone 
will expand to meet you. You will then be again in the comfort zone. And then guess what? It's time for the next step, right? And the comfort zone will expand again. And each time you do this, in whatever ways this is, uh, whether it's in your business or creativity or relationships or health or anything, you will become a bigger person. Your your experience of the world and your choices in the world will expand. You know, so much of this, so much of this life is what choices do you have, right? And many of them are based on what the choices that you're willing to make. Are you willing to do things that scare you or aren't you? Because if you aren't, again, you're going to basically stay in the same place. If you are, you're going to get a new skill. You're going to learn something, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then again, the uh, comfort zone is going to catch up to you and then you're going to be able to get bigger from there. So that's a huge, that's a huge um, way to look at fear and comfort and security and how to step out of that. You know, one of the pages that I turned down in your book is the one that's got the the statement on it and, you know, with a dark background. Every minute is a chance to write, act, and live a better story. Most people don't really even think of their lives as stories. They don't often consciously recognize they're writing their story as they're living it. What have you been able to do to help yourself consciously recognize that and that you can start scripting or future casting what you want versus just accepting what walks into your story? Right, exactly. That's huge. So our lives absolutely are stories. And we make meaning from our past. We create an identity within ourselves based on how we interpret that past, right? So it really is. The question is, as you, as the main character of your story, what are you going to do, right? So the first question perhaps is, well, who do you want to be, right? What is this character? Um, and and what, are, what are the highest or the best choices this character can make? Is it a reaction to the world that is, you know, hateful or um, aggressive or violent or something like that? Or is it a more, you know, loving and understanding uh, response? So that brings me to something in, uh, I used to practice this this, uh, counseling modality called neuro-linguistic repatterning. Okay. It is, it is a talk therapy that helps people untangle subconscious blocks that will help them move forward in their lives in various ways. So one of the main tenets in, in NLP is that we really only have three centers of power, right, in our lives. We have lots of places we can influence the world in our lives, but we, we really only have three places that we actually have power, and that is how we act upon the world, how we react to the world, and our perceptions of the world. So it's very often that we put our power outside of ourselves. And whenever you do that, you are then not making the choices for the story that you want to write 
right? So if you know who you are or who you want to be and the kind of story that you want to write, and then you place your power within your actions, within your reactions to the world and your perceptions around the world, then you have real power. Then you're the real author of your story because then you can actually make these choices. If you're not conscious of this, this kind of thing, if you are just reacting to everything in the world, you're, you're essentially bouncing around like a pinball. The more conscious you are, the more choices you can make that are going to lead you towards the story with the ending and the process, the actual story itself that you desire. Well, Jeff, there is a question that we ask all of our new guests who come on Breakthrough Radio. It has nothing to do with your area of expertise or your book. Uh, I've only forgotten to ask it two times, and Lou in New York popped me both times, so I've I've not (laughs) forgotten the third. (laughs) And um, we ended up naming it a brain download uh, question, and here's how it came about. Uh, I was watching Star Trek one Saturday, and uh, as the story was coming across, I was watching how Spock was about to do a mind meld on someone, you know, where he puts his hands on his head and, like, he can morph into the beginning and all the way to the end of their lives. And I was feeling a little frustrated that day, and I'm yelling at the TV because I know you've never done that. And I said, I don't care about everything that's happened in their entire life. But if you can explain to me why he made that choice and that decision, then I'll I'll listen to that. And as soon as it came out my mouth, I was like, wait a minute, that's actually a good point. That's a good question. That's a good perspective. How many times do we uh, try to look at the whole kit and caboodle instead of just taking a slice of it? So if you could learn how one person has made their choices and their decisions. That person could be for the past, the present, or the future. Who would you like to learn that from and why? If I could learn who – can you say the question again, please? If you could learn how someone has made their choices and their decisions, and that could be someone from the past, it could be someone from the present, or it could be someone from the future – Who would you like to learn that from and why? (laughs) Well, uh, I don't know if this is a trick question, but it would be myself, (laughs) right? Um, You know, exploring my own psyche and my own subconscious and my own actions um, is something that I do every day, trying to understand that. And, And again, sort of like what I've been talking about here, the more, you are conscious of what drives you, the more freedom you have to make choices that are going to better serve you and those around you. So it would definitely be myself. (laughs) Has anyone else answered that that way? No, they haven't. I love it. We have a new answer. (laughs) And one that actually stretches our thinking into why has no one answered it that way? <laughs> nice. Well, we've only got about 30 seconds before we need to shift gear into the breakthrough bite. Is there anything that you want to leave listeners with today before we uh, say goodbye, for farewell, and thank you for coming on? Sure. Well, um, first of all, thank you for having me here. And for all you guys out there listening, I appreciate that. hope you got some 
good value out of that. If you'd like to check out my blog posts and all that, it's jefflizowitz.com. I also do webinars, workshops, speaking gigs, all that kind of stuff. So you can contact me through there, or I guess you'll have a link um, on the site there. Right, Michelle? Yeah, I've got, an, I've got all kind of links where they can reach you, no matter which platform is their favorite. They can find you there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, and uh, hope that was good for the audience. Oh, I think they will, they've enjoyed it. And, you know, I know you definitely stretched to my thinking in reading No Effing Around, so I look forward to hearing uh, how it stretched everyone else as well. Thank you. All right, thank you. Well, you know, one of the things that we have noticed, and actually you guys have shared with us, is how you actually put what we talk about each Monday uh, to work or bring it to life for yourself in your business. And so, you know, it, it's wonderful that you share that with us because it helps us to know what you want to learn, what you found valuable, what you didn't find valuable, who you want us to bring on we haven't had on yet, who you want us to bring back uh, that you'd like to learn more from. Uh, and you can always have those conversations with us with the hashtag BBS Radio uh, on any of the social channels, or we get it. Sometimes you want to do that in private. So you can email us at thebreakthroughspecialist at gmail.com. Again, that's thebreakthroughspecialist at gmail.com. But, uh, you know, now it's time for us to shift over into talking with Jeff Shuey on the intersection of people and technology. And he is going to take us on an interesting journey today on the Internet of Things, the industrial Internet of Things, and consumers. So, Jeff, take it away. Good morning, Michelle. I hope all is going well with you. And that uh, congratulations on the Astros win. I know you have a lot to do with that. But congratulations. <laughs> you mean you didn't hear me cheering all the way up there from all the way down here? <laughs> I could. I, I could hear you. I could hear lots of people cheering. It was quite quite a game, quite a series. It definitely was quite a series. Oh my gosh. Well I don't want to take I don't want to take your breakthrough bike time talking about how wonderful the Astros been, even though that would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, kind of a funny thing about that is there is a bit of industrial and, and sort of consumer Internet of Things going on there. There was a, a, a great art, a show, a segment, I should say, on CBS the other day where Michael Lewis was talking about Internet of Things. He wasn't talking about it in those exact terms, but talking about sort of the Billy Beanism of baseball. And if you followed what happened with the Oakland A's, what, eight years ago, ten years ago, whatever that was, so I, I'm, not a, I'm not totally up on my dates, but the idea was that the way baseball has changed is on and about data. And if you saw the movie Moneyball, which is a Michael Lewis book, which was turned into a movie with Brad Pitt, they, one of the questions that he asked one of the guys was, do I care about hitting percentages or something to that effect? And he said, no, you do not. He only cared about his on-base percentage. And that's really what the Internet of Things and Industrial Internet of Things is about. And what I wanted to talk about today was or is I mean, what it really boils down to is jobs. I mean, that's, that's one thing that Internet of Things and the industrial Internet of Things does. But, so that's why I say that's why people should care. But let me go back half a step and talk about what, what sort of the consumer, not versus, but consumer and industrial Internet of Things is. 
I mean, almost everyone has seen the Nest smart thermostats, and they've had light switches like the Philips lights that are the Philips Hue lights that you can control, and the I think Belkin makes the Wemo controls that I can control with my smartphone from wherever I happen to be in the world. That's kind of a consumer-oriented thing, and that's all good. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and they save time, they save energy, they give you peace of mind to make sure things like your garage is down and stuff like that. But on the bigger scale, the industrial internet of things, that's where the real money is. And that's, to be honest, that's where the big jobs are. I'm not, I'm not saying people that are making remote control lights don't have jobs to do, but industrial internet of things is companies like General Electric and ABB and Schneider Electric and Honeywell and Rockwell. And yes, those are a bunch of, of, uh, of manufacturing firms that are doing everything from how do you manage gigantic devices, which if you want to think of an airplane as a device, a car as a device, a building as a device, and obviously there's a lot of subtlety and nuance to what goes on in an airplane, but what's happening on the industrial Internet of, side, Internet of Things side is when Lufthansa builds an airplane or buys an airplane, that plane gets delivered, and there's a lot of supply chain logistics, and I'll come back to that in a minute, but after the plane is delivered and they're putting that plane into use, Lufthansa as a company does a whole lot of things behind the scenes that the normal passenger would never see. So they're checking things like the weather, and they might even be checking things like traffic, but they want all that to be captured and controlled and brought into a managed environment so that ideally they give the customer the best experience possible. And a similar thing happens with automobiles. I mean, Volvo, Mercedes, BW, almost every company has spent a lot of time in some, I think even Volvo has said now they're going to make by 2019, I think they said this, I'm not sure if it's going to be true, but by 2019, all of their vehicles will be electric. And that's going to be a lot more sensors, a lot of data. And I'll talk about that in the pros and cons. But I think what, what it really boils down to, if you really think about what happens with the industrial internet of things, and again, it's not versus traditional consumer internet of things. That's just where we sort of interface with it. But on the industrial side, it it's really comes down to sensors, meaning sensors out there that are capturing pretty much every piece of data you can think about, temperature, control, and even sentiment. If you walk into a store, and stores are doing this today, they have cameras, no surprise, that are monitoring where people go, what the traffic patterns are. And there are even some that monitor what people's faces are when they walk in. I mean, if somebody walks in with kind of a frowny face, maybe they're going to customer service and they're mad or they just want to return something. Or maybe they walk in smiling and happy because they're going to go buy that pair of boots that they've always wanted. So it's there's sentiment analysis that's coming from sensors. And just from a, a perspective, in 2015, they say there are about 15 billion sensors out there in the world. By 2020, which is just, what, three years away, there's going to be about 31 billion sensors. And by 2025, there's going to be about 75 billion. It's going to go up, uh, what, 5x five, five or 500%. And that's – maybe it's a uh, – maybe it might even be a little bit underserved there. But ultimately, those sensors are going to be capturing a lot of data and a lot of information that needs to be managed. And where I say it comes back from a jobs perspective, everything from mechatronics, and I'll talk about that in a minute and what that is, to jobs in software, jobs in hardware, jobs in firmware, uh, there's, there's going to be a lot of things, everything from 
diviners, meaning humans that design things from a UI, user interface, and UX, user experience perspective, and a lot of testers, and the goal is to make sure customers are happy. There's going to be a lot of companies doing this on the back end, but currently some, some human has to ideate it and program it from an artificial intelligence and machine learning side of things. So all that data, what does it mean? I'll use Lufthansa as that example again. If they're flying into Frankfurt and they know that there's a storm coming, they may want to route and delay and or change the way the flight's coming in to avoid that storm. And it sounds fairly obvious and common sense says, of course they would do that. But when that one ripple starts, it cascades out into a whole bunch of other things, meaning the ground crews, taxi services, hotels. There's a lot of things that change when one plane gets delayed by an hour, two hours, a half a day. And obviously we've seen things like this with some of the hurricanes that have been hitting the U.S. lately and, and Puerto Rico and other areas and, and, and Houston. Um, so it, it can have definitely a change in effect. But ultimately, I come back to why, why do people care about, I'll say, the industrial Internet of Things or Internet of Things in general? It comes down to jobs. And for the oversimplification, I'll say better living through computing. So if, if you remember, DuPont had a line years ago, it was better living through chemistry. But what Internet of Things does, it, it enables and supports better living through computing. And uh, the idea there is how do you impact logistics, supply chain, manufacturing jobs, et cetera. And one thing I, I talked about, the sensors capturing a lot of data is on the pros and cons of that, the pros are sensors are everywhere. They're pervasive. They're somewhat proven. Obviously, we know they work. And they're protected-ish. And that's, that's one of the pros of, of what, what uh, Internet of Things does for you. So they're, pro they're pervasive, proven, and protected, I say ish. Uh, that's one of the challenges, too. On the con side of things, it's ultimately we need to make sure that more security is added where needed. And do I care that my car knows that I drove from here to Redmond, from here to the SeaTac airport um, on certain days of the week? I personally don't. Some people might. Uh, as cars become more automated, meaning that AEVs and uh, these, these uh, driverless electronic, I'm going to say most are going to be electric vehicles, I, again, may not care exactly where they are, but some system absolutely will. And services like Uber and Lyft care where their vehicles are, whether they're driven by humans or, by, or whether they're automated, so they can more accurately calculate when they can get to someplace. So there's a lot of machine learning that goes on there to figure out what, when, where, and how people and devices are going to rendezvous in places. And, and that's not to bypass the not quite the Terminator model where Skynet takes over everything, but there will be more and more factories that can run almost completely autonomously. And, and that's actually a good thing. So if you follow Michio Kaku, who is a, a pretty well-known guy, he's on TV all the time, he, he calls it the three Ds of robotics. What, what robotics in general and, and in some senses the Internet of Things empowers is it allows us to bypass those three Ds, the things that are dirty, dull, and dangerous. I'd, I'd much rather send a robot in or an, or an automated thing, an industrial, industrial uh, Internet of Things powered or sensed device into a nuclear power plant because obviously humans don't do well in that scenario. So you can, you can use a device that's, that's set up to operate in that environment. So one of the huge things from the 
return on investment side of what the industrial and the commercial internet, I'm sorry, consumer internet of things enables is it enables safety for people from the three D's. It also allows for just sort of reduced need to put humans into certain situations. And those, those two run sort of hand in hand, but also the, the big up, uh, big value is it, it gives you real time data. And again, from a weather perspective, from where your kids are, where your car is, where things are running in a manufacturing plant. So again, going back to Lufthansa as an example, if they order a new Airbus or a new Boeing jet, they may not want to watch it every second of the day while it's being processed and manufactured, but there might be some parts that they're really interested in. They want to see how the seats are going to be installed or how the electronics are going to be in there. And they can watch those parts and they can watch it in real time if they want to, or because it's capturing literally billions of bits of data, they can watch it at, at a later point in time. And not necessarily from an accident perspective, but if, if something does happen or if they, something doesn't go as they expect, that data is there. So the big picture of what the in, industrial internet of things is and does is sensors will be everywhere, big data, artificial intelligence, machine learning, from a UI and UX perspective is gonna create a lot of jobs. And I mentioned mechatronics earlier, and this will be the, sort of the last thing I'll talk about and then jump into the very last part. But mechatronics is a relatively new term. Um, Boeing here in Seattle has a program in place with six of the local community colleges to help people get up to speed for how do robots get programmed? How do they get maintained? How do they build an airplane or an airplane wing or a jet engine? Actually, the jet engines come from Pratt & Whitney and Rolls-Royce, but the, the same process applies. My oversimplification of this, and I just had a great meeting with some folks yesterday about this, was, and yes, it was on a Sunday, but it's the, the idea for mechatronics is, and this is not an insult, it's a, it's a reality because there are a lot of jobs here, it's, it's STEAM, science, technology, engineering, and math, art and math for trades, meaning some person that may not go to a university to get a, a bachelor's or a master's or a PhD in mathematics or economics or computer science, still can have a high-paying job that does amazing things by building devices that, that the consumer electronic side will buy, but the industrial side will manage and manufacture them. But so for, for my oversimplification, it's steam for trades, but it's people that are, that are taking not just robotics, they're also taking the computer side, but the programmers, the operators, the maintainers, and they're building things in factories wherever they happen to be. Predominantly, they're going to be on Earth, but in the future, things will be built on spaceships and often Mars and maybe the moon and how will these devices that humans literally can't survive in those environments will operate. And that's where industrial internet of things will be sensors on those devices that feedback data in real time and massive amounts of data. And they're going to be using obviously algorithms and rules to define how they operate, but they're also going to be able to have some real-time capabilities if something doesn't quite go right, they can figure that out as they're working on it. But really what industrial innovative things boils down to is it's jobs and it's sensors everywhere. And as I mentioned, the pros are it's the pervasive, proven, and somewhat protect, protected. The cons are, as I mentioned, that more security is needed. So for example, an automated car, the LIDAR on a, on a car, in theory, could be compromised. I don't know if that's going to happen, but it could be and could confuse the car. But your, your vehicle does push out a lot of conk. Who has access to that? So from a security perspective, is that mine? Is it the auto manufacturer? Is it my insurance company? Is it the city or state that I'm driving in right now? Those are some of the questions that are being determined and defined. Uh, and then, like I said, they could be compromised. 
And the con, another con is that data effluent. Where again? Where's all my data going? And again, who has access to it? Can somebody sort of sit on the side of the road and put a sensor and capture all that data? What would they do with it? That's to be determined, but that's one of the questions. And the one thing I haven't talked about yet is on the standard side. So there are standards in place, and one of those standards that's being at least somewhat proposed is blockchain. So how will that, that mutually distributed ledger know in the manufacturer of a car or an airplane or a building so that if something happens or if they just want to know what's going on, they can manage the chain of custody. So that's a, a local and a legal issue. That's a potentially government thing, and certainly there's a business aspect. And again, back to jobs, schools, education, will start building careers and career programs that people that, are, that want to learn about how to build things, not necessarily always with their hands. They might be programming a device, but it builds it on their behalf. But how do they build, and from, I'll say this, back to that mechatronics idea of steam for trades. And finally, the last thing from, from the big picture perspective, from the ROI, it, uh, it allows humans to step away and, and avoid the 3Ds, those dirty, dull, and dangerous tasks. And it makes it so that people can capture information in real time and, in theory, do more things better so that they don't have to spend their time on some slightly more trivial task and can focus time doing more things like living. So that's a oversimplification of what the Internet of the Industrial Internet of Things is, and it's not to say versus the consumer side, the Nest thermometer, the thermostats, and light switches and light bulbs and all that kind of stuff. They're they're not going away, and that's just the way we generally interact with those things. But those things came from a factory, and some and those things came from engineering by some person that designed them. And there there are a lot of jobs out there, certainly for the consumer side for selling them but also from the industrial side, from the artificial intelligence, the big data, the financial aspects, and how they actually build that next airplane, that next building, that next car. So that's my oversimplification of the industrial and of things, and I hope that makes sense. It does, and I'm looking forward to seeing what you're going to share with us at the beginning of December as we wrap up 2017. Oh, my God, I can't believe it's happening that fast. It's coming fast. <laughs> well, thank you, Jeff. We'll talk to you in December. Sounds great. Talk to you soon. So, you know, our brain download question is designed um, to remind you to ask yourself, how am I making my choices and my decisions? And the other thing I'm going to ask you before we sign off for the day is have you visited and participated in a startup grind fireside chat yet? I want to encourage you to reach out and find out what's happening in your city or country with startup grind because you're going to find a group of enthusiastic entrepreneurs and investors who are looking to create profitable businesses and positive change for the world. As a matter of fact, this coming week in Houston on Wednesday, November 8th, we're going to dive into how to build an Internet of Things product and what the Naki team did that allowed them to become Texas's second most successful Kickstarter campaign. So find out what's happening in your city with the grind. This is Michelle Price here with Breakthrough Radio, delivering you the best business minds each Monday live, coming to you from the third coast of Houston, Texas, where we work with you a business down the street or around the world, telling your dynamic story, attracting your ideal customers. We'll talk with you next Monday.